Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Your traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Disney getting dinged. Shares tumbling after an earnings miss. The company's conference call is now underway. We will break down all the big headlines. We are also watching shares of win and match. Both stocks on the move after reporting results. And we are all over today's rally. Stocks seeming to bounce back after the worst sell-off of the year. So is this an all-clear? We'll debate that. But we begin with the big mover after hours. Disney's thinking after reporting an earnings miss. Let's get straight to Julia Borston, who's got all the details. Julia. Well, Melissa, in his comments on the call, Disney CEO Bob Iger stressing that the lower-than-expected results in the quarter are really the result of the big changes that he has implemented at the company both the Fox acquisition and Disney's pivot to embrace the streaming direct-to-consumer business, which they're investing in so much right now. Now, Iger just announced that consumers will be able to subscribe to a bundle of their services for $12.99. They'll get Hulu, ESPN, and Disney+. Plus. Worth noting that's that's the same cost as uh, Netflix. Take a listen to his comments here. Our results reflect our efforts to integrate the assets, businesses, and talent we acquired in order to enhance and advance our strategic transformation. Implementation of our integration plan is well underway, a complex process given the magnitude of the endeavor, and we remain confident in our ability to successfully execute our strategy CFO Christine McCarthy saying that the acquisition of 21st Century Fox and taking control of Hulu will have a dilutive impact on the fiscal fourth quarter of about 45 cents per share, but saying that they are still on track for that acquisition to be accretive to earnings in fiscal 2021. Iger stressing throughout his comments that the company's next leg of growth will be driven by the value of their new content library. We're also focused on leveraging Fox's vast library of great titles to further enrich the content mix on our DTC platforms. For example, reimagining Home Alone, Night at the Museum, Cheaper by the Dozen, and Diary of a Wimpy Kid for a new generation on Disney+. Now, and speaking of Disney+, Plus, the company saying that its streaming losses will rise to $900 million in the fourth quarter. I um, also want to touch on the lower-than-expected results at Disneyland, the Anaheim Park, Iger saying that there was so much concern about crowding around the launch of the Star Wars land, the Star Wars Galaxy's Edge land. That kept people away, um, both those crowding concerns as well as the fact that ticket prices were higher and also hotels in the region raised their prices around that launch. But he said long term they're not concerned because guest satisfaction is high and they're looking forward to the launch of the second ride. The fact that it opened with only one ride may have also weighed on uh, keeping those fans away. Guys, back over to you. 
All right, Julia, keep us posted on the conference call. Julia Borston in Los Angeles for us uh, at Disney, actually. Let's trade this. This is uh, tough because the Fox integration makes year-on-year comparisons difficult. One area that's tough, so studio, for instance, Avengers, which was Guy's favorite movie, Loved was it. released alongside oh, Dark, Diary of a Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Well, that too. Sorry. Uh, but, but so you had Aven- the success of Avengers, the flop of Dark Phoenix, and that makes things tough. Now, and I think the court, if, you, if this, listen, if this Disney Plus launch date, November 12th, I think it is. If they didn't announce that, you know, the twelve ninety nine the bundle, I think the stock would be down a lot more. You have to admit, the stock has traded remarkably well since the end of April. When it traded up to 140, it's basically gone sideways to slightly higher ever since. On what, at least recently, has been a pretty dicey tape. The problem I have continues to be, and, you know, we can debate it, but at 22 times forward earnings with no real tremendous earnings growth, at least that I see over the next year or so, this stock is expensive. By any metric you look at, in my opinion, it's expensive up here. With that said, I never thought it'd be up here in the first place. Twelve ninety nine is the same cost as Netflix. I, look, I think it's a major competitor. Uh, look, the Fox content is is, is something that's a, a complement to content that there's a big argument outside of studio what they are actually doing that's of value. I think maybe one of our guests who's coming on might have a view on that, so we'll leave that for him. My view is first of all to address guy on the valuation. Think of some other big brands out there with no growth. Think of Starbucks. Think of Coke. Think of Walmart. Um, Disney's got better growth. The bottom line here is after April, you have started to be able to value this company on a different multiple. Look, streaming companies, he talked about losses and investment. Netflix doesn't make money. Um, And and look at the multiple on that company. You should not be penalizing Disney for investing in this part of their business. I don't know how many subs they're going to pick up, but at some point, the street has to value this company differently at 23 times, which is a premium multiple to itself, but nowhere near the big boys. This is a $150 stock at very, I think, easy comp on 20 numbers. I mean, don't, I mean, I think the key question here is don't we need to give a streaming multiple for part of, of Disney's business at this point? And so what does that take Disney up to? I don't know. Is it already up to it already? Right? There is some streaming multiple in there already. There's no question about it. Remember how excited people got when they first announced, and it was that seven to six ninety nine. That was worth a lot of money to it. I mean, I think it's Disney. It's a premier company. It's really lumpy quarter. You never know with the merger that gives you a lot of opportunities to kind of I don't know, play with expenses, charges, whatever. It is a premier company, though. The only thing that's not expensive compared to is Netflix. It's not even, obviously, anywhere remotely close to where Netflix is trading. So, I don't know. I think they get a pass. I just kind of think that if you think of Netflix with 150-plus, you know, net subs or, or, or paid subs, you know, and you look at their conservative, Disney's conservative guidance for their OTT service, and then you look at this bundle and you think about the things, D, uh, Disney Plus, you think about ESPN, and then you think of the integration of all these assets, and then you think about all that IP that's going to be coming off of all their competitors. Right. I don't really know how you know how to value this, and I'll just make the one other point about Hulu being in that bundle. I think Hulu is the answer to how to solve for live streaming. That's the one thing that we have not seen on these platforms yet, and that's going to be really important as, um, as consumers start to cut the cord because that will be the missing piece. It's one thing to go back for Guy to watch Avengers Endgame six times or something like that. It's another thing to get whatever that live content that a lot of content creators are producing that's ephemeral, you know? I mean, and that's the world that we live in right now. So to me, that's the thing I don't think you can value. I find that I find that bundle very, very compelling. So, so when you say you don't know how to value it, you're, you're saying that it should be perhaps more valuable than we think? Yes. 
Okay. Yeah. And I, I, listen, I, and let me tell you this. November 12th, this thing's going to launch. There's going to be a lot of analysts jumping over each other to make expectations about what they're going to do and what they're not going to do. The company's already told you that this is going to cannibalize some of that, that TV business. They know that. So look, if you look at those estimates, that's why it looks expensive trading 22 times flat EPS growth. Um, you know, ultimately, you should see this thing expand as earnings, uh, you know, as we get more earnings visibility over the next two years. Let's get more reaction to Disney's results. Joining us now is longtime media executive and Fast Money friend Tom Rogers. Always great to see you, Tom. What would you make of the quarter so far? Well, uh, a lot we still don't know. Uh, a lot we need to know. Uh, but uh, this bundling thing is big news. And it really underscores what a big deal it was to do the deal with Comcast that got them the rights to do bundling. Uh, Comcast had their hands around Disney's throat. I'm still not sure why they let them off. They didn't have to do that deal so with quickly. With Hulu, you mean? What's that? With Hulu. With Hulu. Yeah. Uh, but by doing this with Hulu, uh, effectively agreeing to pay a third uh, for a third of Hulu, uh, they got rights to be able to bundle now. And with that, uh, they can put together a much more compelling package. Uh, we don't know the rest of the story here, though. Um, with the right to uh, get uh, Hulu under their control, they got the right to take Hulu International play the real game Netflix is playing, which is a big global game, which is where the big multiple hundreds of millions of subs lie. That is a totally different expense game than the one they announced in April. And we didn't hear what they're willing to invest for that, what the cost of that are going to be. That's going to change the whole break-even dynamic on the whole thing. The other thing we don't know yet is the decline of the traditional television business hasn't really bitten Disney yet in a big way. We just had reported from AT&T and Charter and Dish and Comcast the worst cord-cutting quarter ever. Terrible. And it only looks like that's going to accelerate. And even when you take into account the so-called skinny bundles, uh, bundles of skinnier packages that people were taking, you still are looking at about a 3% rate go decline going forward. When we got the 4% decline in uh, traditional telephone service, we knew things were in trouble and it was going away. Uh, they've been able to cover that for the time being with uh, rate increases in long-term contracts on ESPN and other things. But bottom line is, when you lose 20 million subs from the traditional TV business over the next five years that are getting between the Fox channels and the Disney channels 15, 16, 17 bucks and you're making it up with 12.99, you got to do 25, 30 million channel uh, subs on your streaming service at 12.99 just to break even. Well, it almost sounds like because you're concerned about the expenses that they might have to outlay for international expansion that we don't really know how that business is going to shake out in terms of profitability. I mean, the spend could far outweigh however many subs they get for twelve ninety nine. Uh, that That is a concern. Look, we've $40 billion of market caps going into this business since April. Just to put in the media world context, $40 billion of market cap, that's CBS and Viacom together, assuming they combine, plus some. So this is a lot of additional market cap with a whole bunch of questions we don't know the answer to. They're doing the right thing, right. streaming, transforming the company. But what the downdraft is, what the real risk is, we don't know a lot yet. And their package seems extremely competitive with Netflix, at least in the pricing, in terms of what you get for that value of twelve ninety nine. But when it comes to some of the other DTC services that have yet to be launched, 
like a Comcast service, et cetera. Where does this put Disney? And what, what happens to those players who are trying to get a streaming service off the ground themselves? Uh, well, everybody is priced a bit differently. I think, look, if you're HBO and you're trying to price at $16, $17 above where you are today, and you've gotten, it take you 30 years to get the 38 million subs, and you've had the mantle of the best programming around, saying you're going to charge $2 more a sub and put friends into the package against Disney coming in at $12.99 with these three channels, uh, that looks like a tough sell for HBO Max. Uh, so I think Disney puts itself in a whole different position being able to bundle and price like this. But before you get too excited about streaming, you've got to consider just how much downside there is in the traditional business. And being with ESPN and how much of the bundle is dependent on ESPN, the number of subs that come off the traditional package for cable and satellite is going to define an awful lot of the shakeout of does the growth in streaming outweigh the decline in the traditional business. Big question. Tom, thank you. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Tom Rogers. Stud. Yes. I mean, Tom Rogers, not Disney. Agreed. What's Disney's <laughs> I mean, comments? I mean, he's a legend. It's like if there's a Mount Everest, like of, a pantheon, like a pantheon of, of media, of media, and analysts, especially for us sitting executives. here at NBC. So, with that uh, said, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Comcast. You know, I know, I know exactly what Tom's saying, but maybe Comcast crunch the numbers. So, you know what? Maybe lose a bit of a loss leader. Let Disney have it at a price which they got. I mean, again. I'm not trashing Disney here. I just think it's expensive, and they really have to execute on this whole streaming thing. Otherwise, the multiple doesn't make sense. All right. By the way, we're going to hear from Disney CEO Bob Iger tomorrow morning right here on CNBC. Coming up, the market making a big comeback after yesterday's sell-off by one top strategist says you want to embrace the volatility. Plus, it's a match. Shares of match group soaring in the after hours. We'll tell you what's driving those gains when Fast Money returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Rebounding today after posting their biggest losses of the year yesterday. The Dow posting a 311-point th- gain. So do you buy into this turnaround Tuesday, or was this one giant head fake? Before we start this conversation, show of hands here on the desk, I'm just curious, who thought today's bounce was a head fake? Oh, I'm... Raise your hand. Initially. You, initially wow. Yeah. Uh-oh. In fact, let's call it Temporary wow. Tuesday. Yeah. Temporary yeah. bounce back Tuesday. Why was it so unbelievable? Well, first of all, we, we, we had, there was nothing structural that, that turned. And, you know, policymakers didn't panic. By the way, we're not even sure what policymakers can do anymore. Uh, I think there's been an appropriate slight reassessment of what, what the Chinese are doing with their currency. But more importantly, look at bond markets. Look at the rest of the world. Look at the, the deflationary spiral is with us. In other words, if, if you thought that the bond move was an overshoot and treasuries... And by the way, on a trading perspective, I, we have had moments. I've said this in the last two or three weeks, I think, tra- treasuries are overbought. But... The bond market should have told you something different. 
Well, that's the thing, right? So you would have thought that. I mean, look at where the 10-year Treasury closed at 1.7, you know, and we, we know that people were calling those 2016 lows, generational lows. Like we, They're going back there, you know, and maybe support at this point, but they're going back there. So what is the bond market telling you about growth versus the stock market that net is down less than 2% from, you know, last week or something like that? To me, that's really the dangerous situation. And I just have always been of the mindset, I think guys with me here, that at this point in time, now that we are in a rate cutting cycle, it's a cycle. Um, it may not be great for risk assets like equities right now. I, I agree with what Tim said. Nothing new happened except the market did rebound. And when we think about twos, turnaround Tuesday, we think about, all right, down big. And then you start to see buyers saying, you know what, I know things are bad in the world. There's a lot of bearish stuff you can point to, but here's value. And, here, and I want to be out there and I want to buy. And then you yeah. see markets turn around. This started off strong and it kind of, you know, ended up the day stronger. I find that I find this this day so frustrating. Puts come in, right? Right. They get so I sold some puts in the morning. Of course, not enough. And then the longs are, you know, okay, that's nice, but nothing's really different. And I think it, there wasn't enough panic. Well, you buy uh, some volatility now. I mean, don't you roll not down? Not yet. And, it's and like twenty one. Elevated now. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, but, but in terms of what we saw yesterday overnight, we saw a low on the Dow yeah, down more did. than six hundred. I mean, is it your inclination that you want to see us test that before we go? High? I mean, is that some sort of significant level to well, you? Well, I don't know if it's a, a significant trading? level. I mean, I mentioned an S and P level, the fifty percent retracement of basically December low and the recent high, and I thought. Yesterday's close were about 4% away, and I'll stand by that. I still think we should see that. But one of the things I said last night is if you are bullish, and this is counterintuitive, Mm -hmm. you want the market to open in a crater-like fashion and then recover the rest of the day. We didn't see that today. So to Karen's point, it is a very frustrating day because as much as you want to be bullish and believe that yesterday was it, it just doesn't feel right. All right. Well, let's bring in Chris Harvey, head of equity strategy at Wells Fargo Securities. Chris, good to see you. Good to see you. Um, we couldn't see your hand, but your hand was up when I asked the traders if this was a head fake. Um, so why do you think it was a head fake? And how do you how do you trade this sort of market where you have these down moves and then you have these bounces right. that you don't want to buy ultimately? So I. Uh, I think it was a little bit of a head fake because you're still technically you're not oversold at this point in time. And what you've seen at the end of yesterday and of today, you saw passive flows come in. They ran the market up. But all the issues that we were talking about, whether it's rates, whether it's trade and tariff, whether it's the Fed, they're all still out there. And I think we just have to watch that out. And I agree with with Guy. You wanted to see a down tape. You wanted to see that washed out. And then you can start to lift it going forward. We do, um, to Karen's point, we do find value. The, the yield on the S&P 500 is now above the 10-year. So every time you've seen that, longer term, there is opportunity. But in the short term, we do think that you'll probably pull back from here. Um, in terms of uh, sectors, though, you do like semis. And that's been one sector that has been whipped around by all of these headlines. Certainly. We, we've liked semis. We've liked semis on and off. And obviously, trade and tariff doesn't help the situation. But we find good value there. And we think that you can still make money to the long side in the semi space. I mean, how would you characterize how you're positioned, though? I mean, I can't really (laughs) figure out if you're defensive or you've got capital goods, diversified financials, food, beverage and tobacco and also semiconductors. It's it's all over the map in terms of defensive, offensive. We're pretty well diversified. So what we say, we run a model portfolio. That model portfolio is a high quality model portfolio and it's quality at the right price. So we're involved in tech. We're involved in we're involved in in software and financials in consumer. But what we want to do is we want to find good balance sheets. And you can find good balance sheets in the semis, in a lot of the financials, uh, in some of the cap goods as well. 
How about around the world? What do you do? You want to only be here, or what are you thinking? Um, we, so, with quality, it does push us into the United States. But we are starting to sign on the value side. We're starting to find more and more value in the European uh, sector. So, we're being very cautious in that regard. But we are starting to find at the margin more opportunity in Europe. Is there concern about Europe? The more the ch- more China gets deeper and deeper into trade tensions, and p- possibly the economy goes further and further south. Uh, Absolutely. So if you look at the DAX, uh, a significant portion of revenue from the DAX is supported by trade with with China. Uh, A lot of that China trade is related to autos. And so as autos slow down, as tariffs come in, you're going to see that trade, you're going to see that occur. And what we saw in earnings season is autos globally, it's been and continues to be a very, very difficult spot. All right, Chris, good to see you. Thanks for coming by. Chris Harvey, Wells Fargo. Let's continue to trade the bounce. Top performer in today's session, tech. Uh, a day after leading yesterday's sell-off. So how should you trade this tech turnaround? Let's go off the charts with Todd Gordon of TradingAnalysis.com. Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa, let's uh, take a look at XLK. This is the sector spider that tracks the 100, uh, mostly 80% technology here. So what we've seen is a very uh, nice kind of approach of the 200-day moving average. It's the first thing just below us, right around 72. On top of that, what we've seen is a percent decline that is less uh, back here in, in uh, a couple months ago, it's only about a 12% decline. We're so far, we've done about a 9% decline. So setting the emotion aside, the decline we've seen so far is not anywhere uh, any, you know, overbalancing anything that is obnoxious compared to what we've seen in the past. Further, this is a new way to look at volume. Let's take a moving average of volume. Typically on this XLK, in order to see real kind of moves in the market, we need to be averaging about 15 to 20 million shares a day. We're just starting to move up to about 10 to 12 million. I continue to need to see more volume, which I think won't be hard-pressed to get in, uh, in the middle of August. So, so far, I think in XLK, we look, we look fairly supported. Uh, Two stocks that I like that I think held up relatively well in XLK is Adobe. has two cloud plays that I'll pull up here. If I could do my best uptrending line on the semi-log scale, we held perfectly right around 280. I think our risk is very clearly defined if, in fact, this was a tradable low. We have the 200-day that you could use as a nice stop loss there. Again, nice risk to a good reward in Adobe. Uh, next one brought along, kind of another cloud play staple in tech is Microsoft, exact same Uptrend support was held. This one is getting uh, support from the 200. Or this is actually, excuse me, this is the 50-day over here in Microsoft. But $130 support is found. Um, the one stock that I would say you have to wait on, um, I own a half a position um, in Apple. I own full positions in those other two we just mentioned. Here's the deal in Apple. Same kind of analysis. We obviously made a lower high back here. But trendline support is not there. 200-day is not there. I really want to see the 186 level here start to hold in Apple. If you do break 186, there is significantly lower to go. I don't want to say it. I don't want to be taking a task on Twitter here, but there is going to be significant lows. I really want to see 186 play, so that's my kind of one uh, waiting play. Um, the other thing I would say is, is Guy mentioned the 50% retracement in the S&P. We, we went up from the June lows, and we just held that yesterday big swoosh close back above the 61% retracement, which is one of those FIB levels. That's at 28.40. That was a key hold. So everything looks pretty garden variety in terms of a pullback. Could get more, but so far it's, 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 it's nothing obsessive here, nothing excessive, I should say. All right, Todd. Thank you. Todd Gordon, tradinganalysis.com. 
Dan, do you like or dislike any of the stocks that Todd talked about? So I think it's really interesting. The M and MAGA, Microsoft, mm-hmm. obviously, it's a pretty special stock relative to the other mega cap names, and it obviously has held that trend line. Interestingly, the AGA, the Alphabet, the Google, and the Apple never made new highs. They never confirmed the new highs in the S&P 500 that were made last year. I'll just step on your nicely polished toes for a second here. <laughs> if you liked Alphabet, after they reported a couple weeks ago, and when that stock gapped up 10%, and yesterday it filled in that entire gap, and now today it's up about a percent, a percent and a half, this is your opportunity to buy it right there, because that is great support if you believe that those fundamentals carry through for the rest of the quarter. We talk about the It's a great idea. Yeah, those are my toes. Right? <laughs> no, her nice poster. Oh, sorry. Yours are. I don't know how you know about Tim's toes. How but, would you know? Um, up next, you know? we are rolling the dice and swiping right. Shares a win and match both on the move after reporting results. We are digging into those names and later. If you're looking for yield, you're not finding it in the treasury market, but we know where it is. We're going yield hunting. That's ahead. We are live from Times Square in New York City. Much more fast money right after this. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time for an earnings whip. Shares a win, resource, and match group both on the move after reporting results. We've got full team coverage on both the names. Leslie Picker standing by on match. But let's start with Contessa Brewer on win, resource. Hey, Contessa. Hi there, Melissa. CEO Matt Maddox is echoing what we've heard other casinos say about Macau, that the high rollers aren't rolling so high. He calls the VIP business choppy. But he says these are just episodic data points, not a long-term trend. The results, though, are clear. The mass market gamblers are picking up the slack, up 22 percent in Macau over last year. And Wynn is shifting focus from those high-end junkets to concerts, restaurants, and other non-gaming offerings to come, say, at the Crystal Pavilion. Analysts asked about whether the trade war and political turmoil in Hong Kong are affecting the scenario in Macau. And when you have hundreds of flights canceled out of Hong Kong and some reluctance reluctance to travel, I do think that that's impacting the premium into the business. However, that to me feels very temporary and has really nothing to do with our business and everything to do with what's going on in the region. In Las Vegas, a surprise win on Baccarat, drop up 16% versus the market up 11% on domestic table games, up 12% when the overall strip was down 6%. Maddox said, in fact, for the first time in five years, the revenue per available room in Las Vegas increased more than 9%. David Katz of Jefferies says of Wynn's results, they were a little mixed, with Macau below most estimates offset by Las Vegas 
overall a pretty strong quarter given how bad expectations are for Macau. Remember, Jeffries just lowered their estimate on full year growth in Macau for gaming revenues. One last note, while Encore Boston Harbor was open just for one week for the second quarter, the company highlights the completion of the Encore Boston Harbor reduces near-term capital and improves discretionary free cash flow. It was clear from the call here, guys, though they've got their work cut out for them in terms of breaking into that competitive slots market. All right, Contessa, thank you. Contessa Brewer on win. Um, Tim, I go to you. Is this one that you, I mean, would you rather be in a more Las Ooh, Vegas exposed gaming name versus more heavily exposed Macau name? Look, the cyclicality of, of Macau has been a big driver for a lot of these companies over the years, too. I, I, I don't think Macau by any means is dead. If, again, if you think about where expectations on Macau went, they've gone south in the last six weeks. Um, and, and I'm not sure that this is a, a massive trend, but ultimately we keep punishing win on these Macau numbers where, I, in fact, I think the stock has had four headlines in the last two weeks that, I, I, you know, just surprised me. This stock tends to be more of a trade war proxy. This stock tends to be and around $100. Um, this is a stock that really found a fair amount of support, uh, call it six months ago, at the worst of the trade war. Well, that's it. I mean, in the beginning of June, it was a $100 stock. July 25th, I think it was trading 140. So I went up 40 percent and basically... I don't know, four and a half, five weeks, a pretty significant move. Now we're right back to 110. I don't think the quarter was disaster. Year-over-year revenue growth in Macau was not great, maybe 1% or so. But then you say, you know what, it's not crazy expensive on valuation. And if you don't think the world's blowing up in terms of this U.S.-China thing, I think you take another shot on the long side. Yeah, here. but it's not just the trade. It's also tanks start rolling in Hong Kong and Macau gets destroyed. I mean, like literally, like the, the casinos. So, I mean, that's something that looks like that's happening before we get any sort of trade clarity. So, to me, you know, if you talk to people who are in Hong Kong, I mean, Hong Kong is this massive throughway to Macau. So and those are me, over, but those are overdone. I think you're yeah, absolutely right. So, the point, yeah. I, I think, is that it does create an opportunity because uh, tech and tech proxy plays out of China, Hong Kong, and even those here that are there. Yeah, but, but, Tim, my point is, is like, if there's there's a crackdown in Hong Kong. Where do you think they go next? It's Macau. I mean, like, so if you think about the freedoms, the democratic freedoms that have been promised in Macau, or excuse me, in Hong Kong, think about what goes on in Macau. So if they get Hong Kong under order, okay, then what happens next? I mean, you do not want to be in Macau. I mean, that, that, that would be my I guess. I don't, the issues with Macau historically have been about capital flight, um, as far as I can tell. Isn't and that an issue right now, too? Well, we don't know. Yeah. And, and, and I will say this is one of the reasons why we don't need to have our macro conversation right now, but it's why I don't think China's going to play around with this currency. But I, I think your point is well taken. I I think there's extreme value in that part of the world. You just have to be able to, to buy it and stay in the pocket. All right, let's get to Match Group. That stock is soaring after hours. Let's get to Leslie Picker with the details. Hey, Les. Hey, Melissa. Beat on both the top and bottom line for Match, but it's their Tinder segment sending that stock up nearly 18% in after hours trading right now. More than 18%, as you can see there. Tinder adding 1.5 million subscribers from last year, up 37%. Match's subscribers overall were up 18%. Match rolled out certain features during the quarter, such as safety features and read receipts on messages. And the company is also expanding internationally to help drive user growth. Thanks to these forces, Match is raising full-year revenue growth guidance to the high teens versus the mid-teens previously. And also, the company says the back half of the year is showing, quote, meaningful acceleration in revenue and EBITDA growth versus the first half. Now, Match is hosting its conference call tomorrow morning, so we should learn some more clues about what drove these results during the quarter. Not including these moves today in the aftermarket, though, shares are up a whopping 73% already year-to-date, Melissa. 
Wow. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker on Match Group. Uh, Karen? I mean, that kind of revenue growth is just extraordinary, right? I mean, remember, I don't remember exactly when it was when Facebook threatened to have a competing product, dating right? Service, uh-huh. Dating service. That, of course, never came to be. The other thing to note about Match, though, very big short interest. So you put up gigantic numbers like this, and if you're short, I don't know, you've got to be somewhat concerned. Do you but, swipe yeah. right or left on match? Uh, no comment, but I mean, on, you know, clearly. No, I mean, on the stock. On the stock, not the uh, app. Right means you like it. Is that right? No, I'm, I'm, I'm I, not I, I would just add that, you know, I, actually, that, that revenue sure. growth that you're really excited <laughs> about is in the Tinder component, but this is a company that's growing sales mid-single digits, trading about 10, 11 times. And I just mentioned one thing. This stock back in November, you know, it had a huge gap down to 40 after Tinder results disappointed. So you had the stock down at 40 when they disappointed. You have it up at 87 now when they're doing better than expected. I don't think you chase it, especially with that short interest, because 35% short, you're crawling all over each other to cover right now. But, I mean, where's going from here. With that being said, you know, what do you think? Stocks that mm-hmm. traded at 87, where do they go to? 100. Yeah. You just made that up. No, they go to 100. I, mean, I don't know why that is. She knows. They go to I, I only know what you tell me, oh. which I'm not sure is right. <laughs> but that's a whole other story. Very brave. Coming up, biotech moving on the back of two major headlines. We'll find out what is dragging these names down. Plus, rideshare company Lips have to report earnings tomorrow. We will tell you why options traders are betting on even wilder swings for this stock. Much more fast money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Walgreens. Leslie Pickers got the details. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Walgreens closing about 200 locations in the United States. That represents about 2% of their U.S. stores. This announcement, they say, comes after a review of their real estate footprint. They say it should cost up to $2 billion worth of pre-tax expenditures, but 80% of that should lead to future cash expenditures. Walgreens not really moving too much in the after-hours market on this news, Melissa. Thank you, Leslie Picker. Well, drug stocks on the move today on the back of two big headlines. Meg Terrell is back at CNBC headquarters with the details behind those moves. Meg. Hey, Mel. Well, let's start with Novartis. That stock under pressure after kind of shocking revelation this afternoon from the FDA concerning the Swiss drug giant's recently approved gene therapy, Zolgensma. Now, a lot of people have heard of this drug simply because of the price tag, $2 million for the one-time treatment, which is approved for the devastating childhood disease, spinal muscular atrophy. Now, the FDA said today that Novartis subsidiary Avexis which developed the drug, manipulated data and its application for Zolgensma. And what's more, that the company knew about it months before approval and didn't notify the FDA until after the drug was approved. Now, the FDA says the drug should stay on the market and it's still confident in its safety and efficacy, but says it will investigate and could bring civil or criminal penalties. Now to the second big story of the day in the drug space, opioids. There are several massive lawsuits moving forward seeking to hold industry accountable for the epidemic. And Bloomberg News reported today that drug distributors have offered to settle with state attorneys general for $10 billion. Now the state AGs, according to the report, countered with $45 billion. Shares of those distributors, McKesson, Amerisource, Bergen, and Cardinal Health all sank today as even the $10 billion starting point is more than investors had expected. But shares of drug companies involved in litigation Teva, Mallinckrodt, and Endo in particular also dropped today. Now, McKesson told us this afternoon that it has made no settlement offer, but as it does explore the possibility, it would want it to be a global one, including not just the states, but also local governments, cities, and counties. Melissa, back over to you. Meg, on Novartis, is that drop mainly because of uh, concerns about the fallout from an investigation versus the impact on sales of the drug itself? Yes, most likely. It sounds like a situation where the quote-unquote cover-up is worse than the crime. The actual data that we're 
uh, manipulated don't look like they really affected a lot of what we know about the drug. It's just that uh, this could cast doubt on all of the data uh, that support the drug. And the FDA is going to be looking into this for a few months. Yeah, shocking that they knew uh, for months. Meg, thank you. Yeah. Meg Terrell. Uh, Guy Damian, yes. what do you first? MCK was cryptically a final trade recently. Yeah, and it had a monster quarter, and yeah. the stock actually did really well, if you look. And now it's back down. Look, nine times forward earnings, yes, is a big headline deal. I get it. But I think you buy the weakness, specifically in McKesson. I think it's just probably overdone. Quickly in Novartis, you got to bring it up. $95. Go back and look at July 2015. See where the stock topped out at. See where it topped out recently. You have tremendous headline risk here. So if you're in Novartis, I think you're taking profits. But to answer your original question, I think it's too much of McKesson to the downside. So according to J.P. Morgan, Zilgensma is about 4% of their embedded value. So, I mean, this news really almost means nothing except for it is um, it does cast some negative pall over the company. It, it's, it's a coincidence. It's also interesting back to the opioid thing. Novartis is the company that did a deal with Tilray. Um, right. And obviously, to the extent that if you're talking about just cannabis, distribution, distribution yeah. deal. And again, we just talked about the distributors who have effectively been the ones that have been handing this stuff out. So um, this, you know, cannabis and opioids is one of the reasons for being and it's just part of the reason why people are very excited about a lot of these companies that have huge valuations. Well, excited because they think that cannabis is an answer in some part to the opioid epidemic. Yes. And, okay. and I, I, you know, to me, there's no question about the efficacy of integrative medicine and how it's actually made progress. Um, but, you know, this is not, uh, I think, a place where the big pharma is ready to go just yet. But they're they're just waiting on a legal framework, because right. if you don't think that these guys don't want to be uh, in a place where they're actually helping a, a an epidemic that they've helped to create, I think. Yeah, in in terms of the proposed or the reported settlement of $10 billion for all those companies for state lawsuits, though, that's their opening. I mean, if that report is yeah. right, that's if their that's opening right. salvo. And that yeah. was, was more, than, more than, expected. than expected. Right. I mean, this seems like one of those situations where you've got all this headline risk and there's no way of, of handicapping right. what the outcome is. So even though, to, yeah, today, I don't know, maybe it's overdone a little bit, but that's a big bid ask spread, right? Ten to, to bid 10 at 45. Although if they were to have some global settlement, some clarity. Uh, you know, clarity is really valuable. Certainty is very valuable, but we're far from that, it seems. All right, coming up, shares of Lyft going on a wild ride since its IPO. We'll tell you how the options market is playing Lyft ahead of tomorrow's earnings. Plus, we're going yield hunting, where you can still find yield as treasuries rally. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Lyft shares missing out on today's rally. The company gearing up for results after tomorrow's close. So what can you expect when it reports? Dan Nathan has the options action, Dan. Yeah, so this one's a tough one. You know, the company went public just a few months ago. They had one quarter out of the gate. The stock traded down about 11% after those results. Um, but the options market is implying about a 10% move in either direction. That's about six and a half bucks. That's a pretty hefty implied move um, for a stock with such little history here. Um, you know, look at that. That's the one or the chart since the IPO. It's traded within a range of 78 on the upside right after the IPO, 48 to the downside. The average price has basically been 61 bucks or so. It's trading um, a little bit below that. Um, so obviously some support here. There's the price of options, implied volatility. Um, that's why that implied move is so high because they're obviously pretty expensive here. I would expect that to come in afterwards. So if you're long this stock and you're thinking about that $72 IPO price where you might have bought shares on the deal, the idea of selling calls against your long stock to add some yield above where the stock is trading makes a lot of sense because if that stock moves less than the implied movement and you've sold 
out-of-the-money calls, the option prices are going to come in and you're going to take in that premium. So to me, there's a lot of call or option-selling opportunities against long stock here. There are a lot of questions here in terms of the executive departures recently. John McNeil, John McNeil, COO, the CMO left at the end of the second quarter. Why are these guys leaving after the IPO? That would concern me, So, which is why I would think if these options come to fruition, it probably favors the downside. But, I, you know, you're probably flipping a coin. But if you made me play the game, which okay. we'd love to play, play the game. would you rather? Would you rather? I'd rather play it from the short side here in earnings. Oh, would you rather on the same stock, well, short side or long side? That's a different oh. game. What do you mean it's a different game? That's, that's what we that's do all day. We buy really, and we sell it. It's not, not a really game. a game. Anyway, we don't have to Sorry. play. Okay. Nothing has to be a game. But you, you could make that on position, but you could make the argument. Sometimes you have executives that are like, just stay till the IPO gets done, right? We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We're this far along. You know, we got to just stay till it gets done. So that, that happens. A lot of these executives have, have been there and monetized and are on to the next conquest. So, I mean, to be clear, to expect that unless you're the CEO or unless you're somebody that's really been your baby and your vision, um, these, these departures shouldn't be you know, a reason for concern. I, I would just be concerned that this is a company that I think is still working through these types of events. And, and frankly, I think there's some, some potential for disappointment on, on the announcements. I don't know why I have to chase it. In this kind of market environment where volatility is expected, do you want to be in this kind of stock? Why is that such a tough question? It's a Christmas question. I was not prepared for that question. Really? Why not? I think for, listen, if if you're at the $100 table, we were talking about win before, and you really feel like gambling, I think this is a stock. If you want to play from the short side in earnings, the answer is yes, given this environment and given the fact that I think the market's a little rich here. So, yes, you do. Uh Can I play? Yes, play. I would say no in this environment. Anything that trades at a ridiculous multiple, right, where it's all about what it doesn't make money. money. Right. Uh, No, thank you. All right. For more Options Action, be sure to catch our full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And take a look at the Kramer cam. Jim is sitting down with the Etsy CEO. Be sure to catch that interview coming up at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ in Times Square. Much more Fast Money still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. The 10-year Treasury yield hovering at multi-year lows. So if you're itching for yields, where should you look? We sent Dom to Yield Hunting. He's back at headquarters with more. Hey, Dom. Well, when yields fall, Melissa, there's a reflex reaction by some traders and investors to pay a little more attention to those high-yielding stocks. That flight to safety recently has pushed yields on 10-year Treasury notes below 1.75%. Now, by contrast, the dividend yield on the broader S&P 500 stands at around 2.04%. Now, which type of dividend stocks are in focus? Well, it often has to do with a longer history of being able to sustain and grow dividends. One group that gets attention is the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, companies in the index that have grown their dividend for at least 25 straight years. A number of them fit the bill and have yields higher than what you'll get on longer maturity treasuries, like Walmart. The retail giant currently has a dividend yield hovering just around 2%. It's still up 15% as a stock year to date. Coca-Cola is another stock in that mix as well. The dividend yield there is over 3% at this stage. It's got a year-to-date gain of around 10%. Then there are some of the beaten-down names in oil and gas, but believe it or not, Chevron is still up around 9% as a stock 
this year, despite the downside volatility in energy prices. It also carries now a 4% dividend yield. And then there are the outsized ones around telecom names like AT&T, a yield of over 6% at this point, with a year-to-date gain of 18%. Now, Melissa, if these interest rates continue to be under pressure or find themselves languishing at historically low levels, names like these could be where investors hunt for some of that income, but valuations always a concern. Back over to you guys. Dom, thank you. Dom Chu. So uh, what do you think of these names, Tim? I feel like you're in a couple of them. I am. So let me talk about Chevron and AT&T. On Chevron, it's hard to get excited about energy names. I do think the fundamental call for for macro oil prices is not good. I think we're oversupplied, and I do think we're in a a deflationary environment. But Chevron is probably the most efficient-run integrated oil company on free cash flow. Uh, That's the reason why it's up this year. Uh, I think people recognize management's ability to do that. On AT&T, I think it's still a sum of the parts. I think people underappreciate the the pricing of this company, the valuation of the company in, in a stabilizing results environment. The HBO Max announcement, you know, Tom referred to how difficult it's going to be for them uh, on pricing, but that is a catalyst for this company. And, and nonetheless, I, I still think that AT&T is, is a company, if you look at the various components that they piece together, they're not getting credit. You know, uh, let's look at Walmart for a second here. You know, obviously a lot of retailers are getting uh, hit with some of the trade fears right here, but this is a company that more than half their $500 billion in annual sales come from groceries and really not subject to some of the issues. Now, they have issues, um, obviously, with transportation costs and some of the other wage costs, that sort of thing. Um, but, you know, to me, I find this one pretty interesting, not because of that dividend yield, but the stock broke out in June above 105. That was the prior all-time high. It went up to 150. Come back to that breakout level, found a little support. That's where you want to start nibbling on a stock like this if you think that they are somewhat immune to some of the headwinds that exist right now for retail stocks. Let's go outside of what Mr. Domchu spoke of. Alt-div plays. Alt-div. Yeah. Karen, where where would you go for yield? Well, okay, let me just say I don't love the premise of going Um, for yield. yield, It's the tail wagging the dog. I heard someone recently say bonds are for capital appreciation now and stocks are for yield, which is the odd environment that we're in. But, I mean, when I look at my portfolio, I I like Walmart. But J.P. Morgan... Right. They said they will increase their dividend next quarter. So they're going to be a three and a quarter percent yield and 10 and change times earnings. I want to own it. I know Dan's going to give me a lot of feedback. Not that one. Not that that one's fine. Have a ball. Own it all day. Just I think sell the other ones. (laughs) I I beg America also. But for me, J.P. Morgan. Macy's is a disaster, but I mean, at a certain point, it's just a point of absurdity. Big short interest. I think Macy's might be one. I am shocked, by the way. Of what? Dan Nathan and Walmart. You could have, I mean, you give me a hundred guesses. He's been shocking lately. He's shocking in a good way. And I'm sort of, I, I understand what Tim is saying about Chevron, but it's not expensive. They're coming off what was a pretty decent quarter, given the environment. And the stock really has been sideways in an environment where it could have gone a lot lower. So I actually think Chevron CBX is okay here. All right. Up next, final trades. Quick check on Disney on the back of earnings. Close to after-hour session lows, down by 3.6%. Disney saying it's suspending stock repurchases because it is in investment mode. And by the way, we do have an exclusive interview with Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney. That is tomorrow here on CNBC. Time for the final trade. Tim. So we went yield hunting. I said AT&T. Let me reiterate that. Even though that's not a reason to chase a stock, as Karen talked about, this is a company that I think when yields go lower, this stock outperforms. Chairwoman. Yes, I find myself in the uncomfortable position of agreeing with Dan. Alphabet. I do like it. My biggest position, if you go home long, it's the same as buying it. 
Dan? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Tim on Disney. I think you buy this thing on the way down at 1.30. I think you buy a support down that way. Is that concerning to Tim? Very. <laughs> Bets are on fire, by the way, Tim. I want to give Tim some time. Final trade. Oh, we, go, we go over to the board every oh, once in a while. We do the power pitch. PWPH. Look at that quarter if you want that to. That does it for us. Mad Money on the Street with Tim Kramer begins right now. An aggressive dime. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.